Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. It's 49 years ago yesterday that the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, where the Supreme Court legalized abortion in America. Since that time, an estimated 60 million, 62 million children have died because of abortion. Our most recent data for the United States, 625,000 abortions in 2019, with 21,000 of those here in Ohio. This should make us grieve with extreme sadness or be angry. I have a friend who emails me every day angry about the evil that is abortion. And we should be sad and angry. We should be sad and angry over the deaths and we should be sad and angry over the lies. One of the number one lies the abortion industry tells us is that the baby isn't really a baby yet. It's just a clump of cells and not a person. The baby might be in a woman's body, but the baby is not the woman's body. It has its own DNA, it has its own genetic code, its own blood type, its own functioning brain, kidney, and lungs. The baby is not the woman's body, and the baby is in the woman's body, and that's not the same thing. But it is a baby. Lie number two is that an abortion is just another medical procedure, like having your tonsils removed. The trouble with this lie is it can't overcome the reality of depression and suicide that accompany abortion. Emma Beck was a young English artist, pregnant with twins, and she was living with Ben, the father of the babies, but he reacted badly to the news of her pregnancy, and they broke up. So she felt pressure to abort the twins, and after canceling her first appointment, she eventually went through with the abortion. She never got over that traumatic decision. And less than a year later, on the eve of her birthday, Emma hung herself She wrote in her suicide note, living is hell for me. I should never have had an abortion, but I was frightened and now it's too late and I died when my babies died. I want to be with my babies. They need me and no one else does, end quote. No one commits suicide over having their tonsils removed. The death of living human beings no matter how young, has moral weight and spiritual consequences. Of course, not every woman who has an abortion experiences depression or noticeable grief. And to counteract the feelings of real guilt, there is a lie that there is power that abortion gives women. But it is a corrupted and warped view of women's power that leads to defiance. Defiance is not necessarily power. 
Line number four, murdering a baby can right the wrongs that have happened to the mother. Another lie out there that it would be better for a woman who's been impregnated by rape with the idea that murdering the child will help the woman not to have to relieve, relive or remind the woman of her rapist. This reasoning is not sound. It's simple. Two wrongs don't make a right. Maybe you've found yourself either thinking or grieving or being angry because of these lies. And both grief and anger can turn us bitter or make us live out our anger and grief in unhealthy and even sinful ways. Two wrongs don't make a right for us either. And I think God is both angry and grieving over death as well. If you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11, we find Jesus at the scene of a funeral for a beloved friend. John chapter 11 describes it this way in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus answered, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. In every single Bible in America, that verse is translated just not quite right. A closer translation would be, he snorted with anger. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he snorted with anger. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Jesus is both angry and grieving over death. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind men have kept this man from dying? And Jesus once more snorted with anger and came to the tomb. Actually, that one's in the present tense. Jesus 
snorting with anger, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus, in verse 33, 35, and 38, was angry and grieving. Why? Ezekiel 33 tells us that God doesn't get pleasure from even the death of the wicked. In Psalm 116, 15, it says God values his saints so much that their death is costly to him. God hates death. One preacher writes and reminds us death was not God's original design for the world or human life. We were not meant to die. We were meant to get more beautiful as time goes on not more enfeebled. We were meant to get stronger, not weaken and die. Death is hideous and frightening and cruel and unusual. It's not the way life is supposed to be, and our grief in the face of death acknowledges that. Jesus is sad and angry because this is the right response to evil, to the evil and unnaturalness of death. I think Jesus is sad and angry because life is precious and life has purpose and life is present. Number one, life is precious because all people from the moment of conception are made in the image of God. God creates people. He is the author of faith and life. He is the authority over all life. We're called to see life underneath the lordship of God and his rightful authority over every human life. And he tells us that he makes all humans in his image Because God is the creator of life and gives us his image, we have intrinsic dignity and value because of his image imprint on us. Because life is so precious and so valuable, made in his image, God says there is a punishment and justice for those who take life. In Genesis 9, God says the punishment and justice for whoever sheds human blood, they will die. Because... God has made mankind in this image. Life is precious. And number two, life has purpose because all people's lives are planned out with purpose from beginning to end by God. Psalm 139 says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God not only endowed us with sacred dignity, but we read that his idea of life begins even before conception. God plans out a life before we're even formed, and he plans out our days before we're even born. To the prophet Jeremiah, God says, 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. God has a personal knowledge of every individual human being prior to their development, even in the womb. Exodus 20 tells us in the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. So we teach that murdering babies brought about by the evil and brokenness in this world interrupts God's precious purpose for life. And we should not kill a person because of their size, level of development, environment, or degree of dependency. We should not kill babies because it is inconvenient for the mother. Life is precious and life has purpose. Number three, life is present. Life is present because Jesus Christ, who embodies the kingdom of God, is available and present to us right now. Listen to what he says to Martha at the tomb. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Well, she says she believes it, but in just a few verses later, he says, take away the stone, and she says, no, because there's a stench from the decaying body. This is part of the dual level of instruction that Jesus gives us all throughout the Gospel of John, a double understanding. There are two temples, one where the temple where they go to worship, and then another temple where he says, the temple is actually my body, and the temple is going to be your body when I come and live and reside in you. There's two births. You have to be born into this world, but he says you have to be born into the kingdom of God. There are two waters. There's the water you drink and get thirsty again, and then there's the living water, the Holy Spirit that only Christ can give you. There are two ways of living in the resurrection and the life. John Ortberg, in his book, Eternity is Now in Session, writes this. Jesus is not saying, believe the right things about me and I'll let you into heaven. His news is something far grander, more cosmic, more life-changing, more costly, more compelling, and more humbling than that. Jesus' good news is that eternal life, life with God and for God, and life under God's care and life by God's power is available now. And if you want that life, the logical step is to become a disciple, a student, an apprentice of Jesus. Martha said the right things. One of the reasons why Jesus might have been angry and sad is that he, God, was in their midst and present and they still didn't believe in the power of the life that was available to them right then. We have something different, and we have an alternate story, a better story, an alternate life than what the world offers, and the life is in Jesus right now. And we just sang it. He is our hope and stay. Lord, I need you every hour. No, do you really believe it? That Jesus can give life and power now. Writer Charmaine Yaust calls our attention to rap artist Nicki Minaj. who in her song, Autobiography, writes these lyrics about her abortion. Please, baby, forgive me. 
Mommy was young. I adhered to the nonsense, listened to the people who told me I wasn't ready for you, but how would they know what I was ready to do? And of course, it wasn't your fault. It's like I feel it in the air. I hear you saying, Mommy, don't cry. Can't you see? I'm right here. I gotta let you know what you mean to me. When I'm sleeping, I see you in my dreams with me. Wish I could touch your little face or just hold your little hand. If it's part of God's plan, maybe we can meet again. In the interview in Rolling Stone magazine, Minaj told the reporter, it was the hardest thing I've ever gone through and the abortion I had at 15 has haunted me all of my life. One of the worst lies that the abortion industry tells is the fiction that they are on the side of women and that they stand for feminine power, but in truth, the actual message is one of weakness. They tell young women, you aren't ready. When a woman is at her lowest point of desperation, the abortion industry says, you can't do it. Even Nicki Minaj, in her rap, called this nonsense. I adhere to the nonsense, listen to the people who told me I wasn't ready for you, but how would they know what I was ready to do? Those of us in Christ have something more than any other. We have forgiveness and redemption and the promise of Christ's perfect righteousness. We know that choosing life carries with it difficulties. And we know that there are challenges in motherhood, but as the church through Christ, we can come alongside women and men and help them know that there is real life and real hope and real strength from Jesus available right now. This is the kingdom of God with us. We can tell women everywhere through our actions and our love that there's an alternate story to what they are hearing and a reality of truth that love offers hope. Through Christ, we have resources to help and we can help people make it. We're very fortunate to live in a community where New Life Pregnancy Center is available that reaches into people's lives to make a difference. We have an interview with the new director, Courtney Hoke, on video. I'd like you to watch. My name is Courtney Hoke, and I have been a client advocate at New Life Clinic for three years. I met Kiana during her first pregnancy. She had the cutest baby bump and always craved chicken. One day, close to her due date, she admitted that her pregnancy saved her from going down a bad path of partying, and she was afraid her family would disown her. They actually surprised her when they embraced her. And seven to eight months after Kiana had her beautiful baby boy, Kiana found herself pregnant again. She came to New Life Clinic for her pregnancy test. It was a Monday. And when I came into work that following Wednesday, the first call that came in was Kiana. The voice I heard on the other end of the line sounded quiet and scared. She asked if New Life Clinic could help her with an abortion. Actually, that's not what she said because she couldn't even say the word abortion. Her exact words were, I recently found out I'm pregnant and I don't want to be anymore. Can you help with that? As calmly as I could, I told her, no, we don't do that here, but I can give you as much information about it that you want. 
And she quickly said, yes, information. That's exactly what I need. I told her to come in anytime and we would talk. And talk we did. We talked for over two hours. When she first walked in, I could see the stress on her face. I could also tell she had many concerns about this new pregnancy. All she could see were the problems. She already had a seven month old. She worried about her depression and the finances were already hard on them. And this weighed very heavy on her shoulders. I did what I do with any woman who wants to know her options. I walk her down each of the three options available to her. We talk in detail about the pros and cons of each parenting, adoption, and abortion. And then we also talked about each of her concerns and how New Life Clinic and other community organizations could help her. When we were finished talking, I definitely feel like she had her distinct paths to consider instead of feeling overwhelmed and like she couldn't concentrate on where to turn next. I sent her home with some extra reading material and my number in case she had any questions for me later. Within a few hours, one of the stories I sent home with her really struck out to her. She read a story about a lady who had an abortion early in her life and then went on to have kids. And as they got older and her family grew, she always felt something was missing. And that was the child she aborted. She felt she robbed her children of knowing their older sibling. And that's when Kiana realized she'd be taking a brother or sister from her son and that she'd never be able to live with herself realizing that she'd be doing that. So that night she chose life for her son. The day Kiana called New Life Clinic looking to end her pregnancy, we were not her first call. She actually called an abortion clinic before she called us. The lady at the clinic scheduled her appointment and at the end of the call wanted to warn her that there was a group of people praying outside the clinic that day. And she didn't want her to worry because they were only praying and they wouldn't bother her. And she just wanted to give her a heads up. But what that receptionist didn't know is that it did scare Kiana. And that's why she called New Life Clinic. Those people outside praying at the abortion clinic saved this child's life, and they never even knew it. Those beautiful people who sacrificed their time to pray for these mamas and babies day in and day out really are making an impact. Those people were participating in a 40 Days to Life campaign that was started by Sean Carney. Since watching the movie Unplanned, I follow Sean Carney and his 40 Days to Life campaigns. And I know he keeps track of the babies saved. And now he can add one more to his list. Now I have stayed in contact with Kiana through her pregnancy and now since little Leo has been born. As a clinic, we have been able to support her and be there for her in more ways than I ever thought she expected. I'm happy to be able to call her a friend and watch her grow into an amazing mother that I knew she could be. Has her journey been easy? No, but our most cherished journeys rarely are easy. So what do we do? First, we need to salt our anger and grief with hope. When meat is preserved from decay, by salting it, it is rubbed in so it doesn't turn. If you allow your anger and grief in any way 
to create bitterness in your heart. It will cause decay for your soul, and we need to salt our anger and grief with the hope that Christ offers. And there are stories like Keanu's story that reminds us of how Jesus moves through his people. We need to do three things. We need to pray, we need to repent, and we need to love. First, we need to pray because this is a spiritual issue. It's not a logic, rational, or scientific, or political issue mainly. It is a spiritual issue. The argument on whether or not abortion is okay is no longer a rational argument, and if it ever was based in reason or science, it no longer is. It has to do with a seared conscience, which is spiritual in nature. Paul warns us in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the, clear, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars where consciences, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Pro-choice advocate Mary Elizabeth Williams wrote an article in Salon. She writes, and I quote, I know that throughout my own pregnancies, I never wavered for a moment in the belief that I was carrying a human life inside of me. I believe that's what a fetus is, a human life, and that doesn't make me one iota less solidly pro-choice. I would put the life of the mother over the life of a baby every single time, even if I still need to acknowledge my conviction that the fetus is indeed a life. It's a life worth sacrificing. Despite, end quote, despite having no doubt as to the life of a, the life being human, Mary Elizabeth Williams still believes it's the woman's right to choose whether or not to terminate that life. She continues, and I quote, here's the complicated reality in which we live. All life is not equal. That's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about lest we wind up looking like death panel loving, kill your grandma and your precious baby stormtroopers. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Her life and what is right for her circumstances and her health should automatically trump the rights of a non-autonomous entity inside of her. Always. End quote. Believing it is a life, but it's okay to murder for convenience is a seared conscience. It's an argument straight from the pit of hell. So we need to pray. Supreme Court, probably within this year, will issue a decision on Roe versus Wade again. So we need to pray. And it's important for us not to put our faith in the political process or laws or legislation because our kingdom is not of this world. And the lack of political or legislation does not mean a prayer against abortion will not be successful. States where people are made aware of life-giving options as a result of awareness raised by discussion and debate and prayer see a decline in abortion rates. We need to pray. 
We need to pray for our families. We need to pray for our friends. And we need to pray for this issue. Second, we need to repent. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel confesses the sins of the nation of Israel. And they weren't necessarily his sins, but just the sins of his nation. And he pled with God to be merciful, to intervene, to straighten out their path, to call them back to their priests and to the law, and to call them back to the way of God. And we need to pray that way for our nation. We need to confess our sins. We need to confess the sins of our nation. And we need to love. Grief requires ministry. And I see the love in our church, I see the love of Christ in our church as we reach out to those who are hurting. We're not perfect at this, but we do love. Some in this room have had an abortion. Statistically, it has to be. You need to know, if that's you, that there's no sin that the blood of Jesus cannot cover. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. One of the reasons why Jesus was angry and sad at Lazarus' death is because Lazarus was going to have to die again. And Jesus realized the only way that he could kick Lazarus out of the grave was to enter the grave in his place. And he did that on the cross. Jesus also went to the cross to pay for sins of all shapes and sizes, including the sin of abortion. That's how God is able to forgive, and he does forgive. One of the greatest acts of love and greatest acts of bravery that I've seen in our church was in a small group several years ago. One of our small group members gathered us together and said, I need to tell you something, and I've hidden it for so long, but I have to tell you, and I hid it because I didn't want you to know. I thought you would kick me out. I thought you would judge me. I've had an abortion. When I was a teenager, I had an abortion. But because our group loved so much and so well, she felt comfortable enough to be able to get that off her chest with confession. And our group continued to love her. As a whole church, we need to love like this all the time. We need to have baby showers for women with children out of wedlock. There's always the undercurrent in every church that if you have a baby shower for a woman out of what, won't you be encouraging a lifestyle that we don't teach toward? Well, no, you can love somebody and not encourage a lifestyle that is not godly. In February, we'll have baby bottles on the stage for you to take home and fill with money to give to New Life Clinic. We need to donate. We need to donate money and maternity clothes so that women and expecting mothers and fathers can go into New Life Clinic and have one financial obligation taken off their plate so they can worry less about finances and more about their baby. We need to adopt children and do foster care. I'm so proud of our church that loves so much that we have families in our church that foster and adopt because it's the love of Christ overflowing out of them. We need to volunteer our time. I'm giving you examples of things to do, and you don't have to do these examples. Just find a way to 
do something. Maybe speak up and say that abortion is murder and then temper it with grace. There can even be forgiveness in Christ. Temper it with truth. Jesus can give you the strength to carry on now. And temper it with love. I'll be there to help you. At New Life Clinic, you can volunteer as a client advocate one day a week. While you're there, training is provided. And you can help. They'll train you to do peer counseling and pregnancy test options, or maybe just intervene in such a way that it saves a life. What if it saves two? If a person not only decides to give life to their child, but also turns to Christ at the same time. A New Life Clinic, like most pregnancy centers, they offer a range of services to pregnant and parenting women and men that include ultrasounds, parenting classes, clothing, furniture, health care, adoption services, and post-abortion counseling. Services are free to clients and most often staffing is volunteer. New Life Clinic also needs instruction volunteers. Volunteers that teach classes. Some of you know how to budget. Some of you know how to coupon. Somebody, some of you know how to cook. Some of you know how to cook for a family. Some of you know what it is to be a mom taking care of children. Some of you know what it is to be a single parent. They need teachers at New Life Clinic to just come in and teach a class on that. Some of you have skills in parenting or being a grandparent that you'd be able to give to others out of the love of Christ that you already have. I don't know what it is that you will do to help, but you can start helping with prayer and repentance and love. When we're dismissed in just a moment, we'll be dismissed to go do ministry, to go help people. And we all have not done enough. And the proof is 62 million deaths in 50 years. This is why, this is why we turn to Christ. Thanks again for joining us. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just need more information about our church, please visit us online at wcconline.org slash connect. Fill out that connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining and we will see you back here next time.